This is The Mystic Show, episode 152. I'm your host, Chris Curran. Welcome to The Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. And we release new episodes every Friday morning very early. Well, in the U.S., very early. Um, you can hear us as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our website. And this is the show you might know, you might not know. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditation. And also the most important thing is thinking about and learning these higher principles and implementing them in our own lives, right? Because if you don't implement higher values, then what good are they? (laughs) Then they're not a value, (laughs) If you don't implement it, because if, if you really value it, then you would implement it. So I'd like to quickly thank our sponsor slash sister organization, Pause Your Life. That's right. If you want to press the pause button on your life and take a breath and relax, Pause Your Life offers retreats and meetups all around the U.S., pretty much. Uh, It's growing pretty steadily. So check out pauseyourlife.org to check out Pause Your Life. The plan for this episode is to talk about certain topics. And again, I came up with the episode title before recording, which this is the second week in a row I'm doing that. And it's the only two times I've done it. Um, So we're going to talk about the ego mask, good stress, Yes, you didn't know there was such a thing as good stress, did you? Uh, We'll also talk about the will and the divine will, and also riding the slow lane. (laughs) Let's get right into it. The ego, as we all know, is the number one impediment on our spiritual path, is this ego that we have, right? It's a mask, right? The word personality, I think in Greek, when you break down the Greek root of personality, it means mask. So it's something we wear on top of our true self, right? And the ego is our own creation, right? A lot of things in this world, most everything God has created or the universe, nature. But the ego is something we create for ourselves. And that's why it's a problem. (laughs) Because the universe or God is perfect and everything that it creates is perfect. But we as human beings, uh, we're not like that. So when we create something, it's not perfect. And anyway, it's one big learning experience. But I was thinking, and the reason I'm bringing up this topic is that I was thinking that we all wear many masks, I think. So 
one thing is when we identify as a member of a nation or a member of a religion or a race or a color or if we identify with a certain income bracket, that's a level of ego, right? You know, I'm an American. America's the best. I live in the greatest country in the world. I mean, this is, that's a layer of ego. (laughs) That's like wearing this little subtle costume. You know, it was just Halloween, what, three weeks ago and everybody wearing costumes, right? Well, identifying myself as a member of a nation, that's like a really subtle costume. That's like wearing a mask. Same thing with religion. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jew. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Hindu. You're, you're wearing a subtle mask. And what happens is we wear so many little subtle masks, all one on top of the other, that we end up distorting our true self, right? We cover up our true self by wearing these masks and these costumes. I mean, think about it. You're just a human being. That's all you are. You're part animal, part divine. And that's it. You know, 500 million years ago, there was no religion. There was no countries. God didn't create countries, right? He just created land and animals and humans. That's all. So when we try to identify with all these little things, all these little, you know, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm good, and that's bad, and, you know, duality. We talked about duality in the last episode. Anyway, the ego is the impediment on the spiritual path. So I'm wondering if you, in your own way, in your own life, if you notice these things, do you notice these layers of ego that you're carrying around? Because I have to say, none of these are bad. Like, I'm not trying to say that, oh, you should not be patriotic. You should not be a member of any nation. I'm not saying that. I'm just bringing up the point that these are subtle masks. And the first step is knowing that we're wearing a subtle mask. So that's all I'm doing here. I'm not trying to say anything is better or worse or anything, right? You know how we do it on this show. We're just real, period. We don't side with anyone. We don't prefer anything. We're just talking truth here. That's all. And then it hit me the other day, too, that, you know, for instance, there's a lot of different religions in the world, uh, and a lot of religions claim that their God is the only God. (laughs) And unless you follow their religion, you won't achieve God. But let's face it, the truth is there's people there's been people in every religion who have achieved the goal, the highest goals of spirituality. So my idea was that it's not really about your religion. It's about you. It's about your character. So think about on Halloween, wearing a costume, right? Let's say you're a wonderful human being, but you're wearing a costume of a big bird. You're still a good person underneath. You might be wearing Big Bird on top, but you're still a good person. And you will always be a good person if that's what you are. But let's pretend there's a bad person who is wearing a costume of uh, Oscar the Grouch. Or a bad person who's wearing the costume of a saint. Right? The costume is not going to make that bad person a good person. Right? 
So what we are underneath is what we are. And that's why a good character in any costume will succeed, right? It doesn't matter what religion you're in or what religion you say you're in. If you're a good character, if you're a good person at heart, you'll do fine. And that's the character I'm talking about here is the character of your heart. Not the character of your brain, not the character of your mind. Ooh, he's brilliant. Ooh, she's smart. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about your body. Oh, he's skinny. She's whatever. You know, not your body. I'm talking about the character of your heart. Are you open-hearted, warm-hearted, lion-hearted, right? Or are you cold-hearted? Or is there a lot of fear in your heart, right? So the character of your heart is what is going to determine your level of success on the spiritual path. It's not any of the costumes you wear. It's not any of the masks you wear. It's not anything you identify with, with your ego. You know, the nation, the religion, the race, the color, the income bracket, how much money you have, the city you live in. None of these things matter at all, right? All right. I hope that made sense. (laughs) So about a couple months ago, before my wife and I moved to Colorado Springs here, I had to vacate my studio like a month and a half earlier. So actually, I spent about two months with my studio set up in my parents' house in New Jersey. And it's the house that I grew up in. And it was a very interesting experience being there every day, even sometimes staying there overnight because I might have to work late or work early. It was really an interesting experience because... I mean, I visited my mom's house many times a year, forever. So it's not like I hadn't been in the house in, you know, 15 years. I had been in the house, but being there for such a period of time and being there alone, I I don't know, I had some sort of experience and I really think it was like a deeper cleaning. You know, we talk about cleaning and spirituality, which is all these little bits of the ego that we've accumulated Nature tries to clean them off, or nature is cleaning them off. But a lot of times we don't let nature clean them off. We, we grasp onto them really tight. <laughs> um, but cleaning the ego, dissolving the ego, that's the spiritual path, right? So when I was in my parents' house, that's what I felt. I felt like, because even one or two nights, I slept in my old room. And that was just weird. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was almost like a revision of my view of the past. Like I sort of got to reflect on the past and I wasn't emotional about it at all. I was kind of disconnected and detached from it, which is a good thing because it's gone, right? Um, But I, I felt, I just felt like I got to revisit it. I got to reflect on my past, maybe growing up in the house, maybe certain things that happened And I got to sort of go over it in my mind and it was sort of like coming into my mind as part of being cleaned away. And I just let it be cleaned away. Um, Yeah, so it kind of reframed my past in a way or reframed my hindsight of my life. And again, I can't, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but um, it definitely cleaned away all the emotional or all the remaining emotional attachments to the past. 
So that was interesting. I wonder if, if you have visited the place where you grew up or spent any time there or, or I wonder how you feel about your past and all that. Do you remember it fondly or do you just remember it in a detached way or do you remember it with a lot of uh, pain? So one thing you can do consciously is just let go of it all. Just put it behind you, let go, done. One other interesting thing happened at my parents' house. So in the room, in the family room where my studio was set up, which is also the TV room where my mom and dad watch TV, there's an air conditioning unit in the, in the wall. It's built into the wall. And I turned it on. The first time I turned it on, the temperature was set at 77 degrees. And it was blowing for like one or two or three minutes. And it didn't feel cold enough. So I put it down to, I think, 72, let's say. And okay, it got a little colder and it started blowing colder. About an hour later, it was too cold. So I went back and I turned it up to 73. So the next day I came back, I turned on the air conditioner, it was at 73. And an hour later, it was too cold. I inched it up to 74. So long story short, over like the span of a week, I ended up inching it back up to 77, which is where it was initially. (laughs) So... This was a great analogy in my mind to this whole idea that a lot of times as younger people, we might enter a situation and want to change it and say, well, yeah, you've been doing it this way for a long time, but yeah, I'm going to change it and do it my way. And then what happens is a lot of times we do it our own way until we realize why our parents were doing it the way they were doing it. So this thing with the temperature going from 77 down to 72 and then inching it back up is like, you know, there's a reason my mom and dad had it at 77. It's from experience, right? In that room, living with it every day. So they knew 77 was good, but I came in, I thought I knew better and ended up after a week, I had to admit and realize that 77 is right where it should be. So I think sometimes in life we do that. We think we have a better answer. And hopefully if we're honest with ourselves, if we do realize that the other person was right or is right, we can just admit it and just move on. I mean, not make a big deal out of it. So so that brings up the this idea of, of a home, right? My wife and I own our home now and you know, one of the things that our spiritual teacher tells us is that you should treat your home as an ashram, you know, like a meditation place or, or a temple or a church, whatever. You should treat your home as if it's an ashram. So, and you can almost think that your home is not yours. You can think that you're just caring for the home and you can actually think of it as a, a public building meditation hall. But of course, you might not invite people in to meditate. Um, my wife and I do. We have group meditations every week with the, the Sahaj Marg practice. But it's funny, the change that happens in your mind, if you literally are in your home, and whether it's a house or an apartment, doesn't matter. When you're in your home and you just sort of think that, okay, this place is an ashram. It's a holy place. A remarkable transformation happens in your mind and it might not stick, you know, whatever, but 
it's a good experience to to have. So if you haven't tried that, maybe you want to try that. So the good stress I was talking about, did you know that there's such a thing as good stress? Most times we talk about stress, it's because of negative stress, worry, fear, anxiety, and it's heavy, it's painful, <laughs> there's suffering involved, um, but there's there's a stress that science has called eustress, so I'll spell it for you, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, so it's basically the word stress with E-U on the front of it, eustress, and it means beneficial stress, so it could be psychological, physical, or biochemical. Apparently, this term was coined by endocrinologist Hans Selye, and the EU on the front is actually the Greek prefix that means good. So, eustress literally means good stress. So, really, eustress is a type of stress that ends up making you stronger. Like, think of, think of a physical workout. When you're lifting weights, you're actually breaking down your muscles. You're ripping them. But your body responds to that stress by building up your muscles even stronger than they were. So our physical bodies are resilient that way. So we can stress our body a little bit and it'll actually make our body stronger. So you stress is not defined by a type of stress, but rather how a person perceives that stressor, right? So you can perceive a stress as a negative threat or you can perceive a stress as a positive challenge, right? Like I just said, working out physically. I mean, most people don't work out physically and believe that that's a negative threat. (laughs) They believe that it's a positive challenge. They're building up their muscles, right? But it is stress. So I'd like to read a small paragraph that was on Wikipedia which describes eustress. Eustress occurs when the gap between what one has and what one wants is slightly pushed, but not overwhelmed. The goal is not too far out of reach, but it is still slightly more than one can handle. This fosters challenge and motivation since the goal is in sight. The function of challenge is to motivate a person toward improvement and a goal. Challenge is an opportunity-related emotion that allows people to achieve unmet goals. Eustress is indicated by hope and active engagement. Eustress has a significantly positive correlation with life satisfaction and hope. However, experiencing chronic stress, either in the form of distress or eustress, is negative. So, it all comes down to our perception and our attitude When we have a stressor that's coming and stressing us, we can actually choose, most times, we can choose to meet that stress with a positive attitude, with hope. We can view it as a challenge. Or we can view it as, uh, what did he say up here? A negative threat, right? So we kind of have a choice, right? How we view things. Because things are just things. We are the ones who give it meaning. So anyway, I just thought this idea of eustress was really cool and it just can help in everyday life when 
things come your way that are a little bit stressful, you know, you can think of it as a good thing, something that's challenging you, something that's making you more powerful. And at first that might seem really hard to do, especially if it is negative stress, because that that can happen too, right? Stress can be negative and painful. But there's a lot of other stress that we have that we can change our perception. So So sticking on the topic of science, I wanted to quickly talk about a term called entropy. Entropy is a scientific term that says that everything in the universe is moving towards disorder. One example is a cup that falls off a table and breaks on the floor. That's kind of a natural occurrence, but you never see a bunch of pieces on the floor all of a sudden come together and jump up on the table to form a perfect cup, right? It's like the arrow of time sort of points one way, right? Time keeps marching in the same direction. So when the cup falls and breaks, it never goes back the other way, right? And And by breaking, it moves toward disorder. So when I hear of entropy, it makes sense on a scientific level with normal things like, a, you know, like if there's a tree that has fallen in the woods and it's just laying there, it will degrade over time. It will decompose and that's entropy. That's more disorder. It was a tree. Now it's just becoming all this dust and bark and whatever. So, so my question with entropy was, okay, everything moves toward disorder, but how can that be? What about new life? What about a baby? What about a baby raccoon? Well, let's think of a human baby. What does a human baby come from? One cell, right? So from that one cell, there's something, nature or the universe, some power or intelligence that is growing this baby And that growth of the baby, that's not disorder, that's order. That's an organizing principle. So this baby grows up and develops a a body and hands and a brain and feet. And that's an organizational process. And then the baby's born, it grows up, that's more organizing, until it reaches peak adulthood. And then it starts to go toward disorder, right? So... So the point is, the point in my mind was that, you know, the universe has the power to create things and give order to things. You know, my wife just bought a bunch of these bulbs of these flowers called paper whites. And she put them in the, they don't need dirt, they just need water and sunlight. So you get, you get some stones and you put some stones in a little pot or something and you put the bulbs in there and they start growing. These things are growing. That's an orderly process, right? Natural growth is an orderly process, and the universe just does that. So once something is grown, when it becomes mature, then it starts to degrade and go towards disorder. Now, here's the thing. Ready? As a human being, we can use our will and our intelligence to create things. We can create order. We can build a house. We can write a book. We can, you know, create a garden and and create a food supply. We can build machines. 
right? We can take a bunch of rocks out of the ground, melt them to become metal, and fashion that into this complex machine, like a printing press or a computer, right? So we as humans have the capacity to create things, to create order, to create growth. And we do that by tapping into our will and our intelligence. So to me, this is proof that as a human being, each of us is connected to the universe or God because my will and my intellect are somehow connected to God because I can create things. I can organize things. I can build a house, you know? So think about that. That's pretty deep. (laughs) I hope I'm explaining it well. But our will and our intellect somehow touch divinity and that's sort of our connection. And we know that's through the heart as well. So, so I'm going to leave you with one little analogy, <laughs> which is, so when I started driving a car back in 1989, I was 17 years old. And at first it was pretty cool to drive fast. You know, that was cool. Driving fast. Okay. Then I got to a point a few years later when I saw these new 17-year-olds getting their licenses and driving fast, and maybe I was, let's say, 20 or 22, then the cool thing was to drive slow, you know, just kind of chill and drive slow and kind of like avoid all the nonsense of these young kids going crazy. Then after a while, then I just drove normal. (laughs) So anyway, that's a funny little progression of driving. One thing I've noticed while driving on the highways here in the United States, anyway, is that when it's crowded, most everyone wants to drive fast and they all go to the fast lane. They go to the leftmost lane because they think that's the fast lane and they think that's the fastest. However, if you've been driving a lot and you, re- and you recognize things, you see on the right lane, on the slow lane, all these cars going by. And I learned this from my good friend John Kogan years ago. He would just stay in the slow lane. And back then I was like, dude, why don't you just jump in the fast lane? Let's get moving. But when I stopped and observed, he was just cruising along, slow and steady, got there quicker than we would have if we were in the fast lane. So the analogy is in our lives, sometimes we think the fast lane is the fastest lane and we think the slow lane is torture, but If you look deeper, if you observe more clearly with a clear mind, you might see that the opposite is true. And that's one of the reasons why meditation, why pausing is so valuable. Most people who do not meditate think that meditation is a waste of time, but it's the opposite. It's riding the slow lane of life, of your existence. So I hope some of these concepts helped you. Maybe you want to write about some of these in your journal or talk about it with a friend, you know? Maybe set up a meeting with a friend to talk about these subjects. Maybe do it very consciously. Eh, There's an option. That's one way to be creative and bring order into the world by setting an appointment. So until next time, I wish you a great day, a great weekend, and a great week. And as always, 
keep shining.